Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. We are your hosts, Hayden and Evan. Hi. In Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, for you, our Life Group Leaders, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. We are continuing in our summer series, in our many, many series of our summer series, Summer on the Mountain, Christians and the Law. Because it was two parts. So this is a, oh yeah, it's a mini mini. It's a mini mini. It's a in a mini mini mo. Many people were looking forward to this sermon. Yeah, okay. there's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. <laughs> you feeling okay? I'm I'm all right. I got a lot of pressure in my head from my sinuses, but right. anyway. But we're reading the text Matthew five seventeen through twenty. Christians and the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all, all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Pastor Hayden, what was our main preaching point for this text? Our preaching point was that Christ's righteousness produces obedience from the inside out concerning all that Jesus commands and even comes with a warning to those who reject absolute obedience to the commands of Christ. And those teaching points that came along with that were, number one, eradicate legalistic ideas of righteousness. Two, fear invalidating any of Jesus' commands. And three, desire an honorable position in God's kingdom. So how can we help our life group leaders equip their group with this sermon and these questions? Well, you went, you preach on verses 19 and 20. Last week you did 17 and 18, but you began with the end in mind. <laughs> but no, we began at verse twenty in the in the sermon with point number one: eradicating legalistic ideas of righteousness. Well, Pastor Hayden, in our church in particular, in our life groups, how can we as life group leaders help our life groups do this? In what realm do we struggle with? Is it the um, you had, two, you had two sub points, and I'm trying to look for them in my question, uh, my sermon notes. The the weightier or the lighter? I don't know what you're. What and, you're. In, our, <laughs> in our church, how can we help you eradicate legalist mindsets? Yeah, especially uh, with the the weightier commands and then the lighter commands that you brought up. Well, I'd like to maybe answer that question, the the second half of that, and the second point of invalidating Jesus's commands. But the first part. I try to think about it in two ways. In the first way, even as I addressed in your uh, in the, your sermon, uh, and as you guys are addressing your life groups, to think about there's a small group, and I, and I just have to argue small group, that fit this classic legalist uh, definition of, well, I just think I can work hard to uh, merit something. Uh, maybe if you have new uh, people in your life group who are not saved, that you ask them, well, why are you going to go to heaven? Or why would God let you into the kingdom? Well, because I'm a good person. Well, that's a legalist, right? And it's funny is our ideas and our thoughts about what a legalist is or who a legalist is 
in our minds is the caricature is this Bible thumping uh, guy in a suit and tie telling us to uh, obey, 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 obey. Uh, which is okay. I mean, I, historically, I guess that could be an accurate picture. But what you're probably going to see more often than not is that person who thinks they're getting to heaven because they're good enough, which is legal, is literally the definition of legalism. Uh, I think that's that's half of it. The other part, I'm I'm not so I'm not so sure that you that you would deal with the idea that you would have somebody that is growing in their faith who think that legalism is the way to go, that legalistic ideas are are right. Or uh, I think maybe what you also may deal with in uh, your life groups, uh, other than the new people who maybe not be Christians who think they're good enough and they can make it, uh, I try to think about is these. Uh, those and I really have a hard time to even explain it because honestly, it's like I don't think our church deals a lot with "quote unquote" legalism. Uh, what would you say? Well, I think there can be some times in just my ministry ministry career and serving, or even working for the church. I've seen people struggle who are Christians who get super passionate and zealous and start making patterns because they had unhelpful sinful patterns and now they're making righteous patterns but then they start to dictate preferences and well towards other people towards other people right and and i think that's the other side i'm trying to think personal 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 like what do you think about yours what do you require what is your personal thoughts about yourself and righteousness well i can struggle with the idea well i, I can struggle with the idea but about, I, no, I like what you did i think that's the word that's the area we need to go to and I'm just saying, I struggled with the idea when I was a growing Christian of not matching my outward obedience um, to my heart. I was so focused. I can get so focused on outward obedience without really addressing the heart. And even when we were discussing this sermon this week or even when I was listening to it, I was examining my heart to go, okay, why do I do the things that I do? Why do I feel convicted when I sin? Is it because the outward appearance has been tarnished? Or is it because the Holy Spirit is convicting me for breaking his moral law, where if I sin against Candace, uh, or even against you, like even when I sin against you, I'll find mm. you between services and I'll say, I'll, I'll apologize and repent. Is it because I'm trying to match my outward behavior, or trying to just show my outward behavior to you so I don't disqualify myself as an elder? No, because I feel guilty for breaking the moral law of God against you, and God right. calls me to reconcile. And I think, yeah, and, I, and but but you're doing what you're supposed to do. And it, people are like, well, what if I don't feel like doing what I'm supposed to do? And that's that's the kind of like area that, you, that you're kind of talking about that actually is still necessary. Like, well, I don't feel like doing it. So since my heart doesn't want to do it, do I need to do it? Well, it's like, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, you need to do it. Uh, but I, I like the way that you were talking, that you brought it up earlier. Well, you know, well, other people, like you forcing legalism on other people, which is something that I think our church deals with. I don't think our church deals with the idea that we think that we can somehow merit righteousness, but we, in the way that we like to tell people what God requires, we try to make other people legalists by saying, well, you can't do that. Well, you can't do that. Well, you can't do that. Well, you're a Christian and you can't do that and you can't do that and you can't do that. And it's like, well, you've got to be careful, even as a life group leader, to uh, eradicate legalistic ideas of righteousness in your own mind and help people understand that when you just say, it'd be like me preaching and saying, well, you just shouldn't do that. Well, you shouldn't do that because God hates that. It's like, what? why don't you help people get to the heart of the problem? 
why don't we look at like we did and look at Ezekiel 36, 26. And why don't we look at their life and say, is it a sin what they're doing? Or is it just something you don't like? Or is it a sin or is it an application in your own life that you like to include so that you don't sin? You know, it's like alcohol is that great, great example. It's like you may have this uh, in your household that you will not drink and because drinking leads you to sin. And you now go tell everybody that they're not allowed to drink alcohol because it because uh, because you think that's wrong. Well, that's called that would be a legalistic idea mm-hmm. to make everyone else stop drinking any alcohol because you have a problem. Uh, instead, it would say, "Well, is drinking alcohol wrong? Not in and of itself. Not if you do it biblically." Uh, now, there's a lot of good, a lot of arguments of why I would abstain from alcohol. As, as obviously, if your brother struggles and then you drink, knowing your brother struggles and you cause him to stumble, that's sin. You shan't do that. But the reality of legalistic ideas is just because you have an application that keeps you from sinning, from Scripture, you have this application from Scripture that keeps you from sinning. That you say this is this is what everyone has to do. I think those are the two biggest ways. The, the new Christian, or, or the or the maybe even the non-Christian who thinks that they're good enough. Uh, or you forcing an application of Scripture onto others as God's uh, propositional truth. Yeah, I think those are two good ideas. Yeah, and just to further in just a little bit more before we go to the next two points, you know, point number one, again, eradicating legalistic ideas of righteousness. Really, it's attacking the heart of the issue. Or as you kept saying over and over in your sermon, it's, or Jesus is referring to, it's the spirit of the law that they broke, not the letter. And he'll actually, and then in breaking the spirit, they actually broke the letter. Yeah, right. So it's, you know, aiming for the spirit. And so I think as life group leaders, we have to aim for the spirit. I and mean, that's what I love about actually bringing some of you life group leaders into the counseling room that I'm meeting uh, with people and people within your life groups. Uh, I remember in a couple of you, like, there's a lot of sin patterns I see in people. However, I'm trying to look for where is the heart? Where is, where's the root issue? I can, I can take over this little sinful habit over here. But I need to make sure I attack their heart. So how do I eradicate things out of my own counseling, legalistic counseling, to go, okay, I need to help this person have a heart change. Then I can start dealing with the pattern change in their life. Which lives. is why the gospel is necessary. Exactly. The gospel is absolutely And then necessary. the law is used as a mirror and then a guide. Yes. Boom. Well, I talked more than you did this just now. That was good. So point number two, fear invalidating any of Jesus' commands. Pastor, you you came up to me in the office this week saying this is a strong sermon. Mm-hmm. And what what led you to come to this point for us as a church? To point number two in particular. I think when you read that text, it's very clear that Jesus is giving you a warning, right? That whoever relaxes because the law is permanent, because it is preeminent that whoever would relax even one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. We know that Jesus fulfills all the laws and commandments. And when it comes to the moral laws, although the others are eradicated, right? I mean, we don't, we won't sacrifice. The civil laws don't apply to us. The moral laws do, not in a condemnatory way, but in a, uh, you know, in a way that teaches us our sin in one in one respect and the other respect as a guide and it shows us how we're walking with Christ what does Christ command us to do well to live morally I mean that's I can't I can't, you know and that's there's just no other way to say it live a moral life according to God's word and so 
as you see this, and then Jesus says, if you relax even one of the least of these commands and teach others to do the same, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, okay. Well, that, that gives me a healthy fear of saying, Jesus has a, has, a, has a thought about this idea that I would at all mitigate his whole word. And that he's saying, you're going to be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Like, I, like that's, that's Jesus' attitude towards people who don't take all of his words seriously. And uh, moralism is not the way into eternity. But the, what we have to understand, and I kind of want to have this pastoral conversation with our life group. It's like, it, it's that God created a perfect world. And in that perfect world, it was perfect morality, right? And for you and me, we're not living to moralize ourselves into eternity, but you, you must realize in God's kingdom outposts here on earth, there is a moral reality and responsibility the Christian has to live under the objective standards of God's word, which does include morality, biblical morality. And so for us, like obviously the moral laws apply to us. And like I've said over and over again, you're not condemned if you break one of them. You need to repent and turn from that. But what you need to be careful is how do you teach people about God's moral law? How do you teach people about the heart of the law of Christ and what it means for us as Christians? And, you know, in light of the, all the verses we looked at, uh, particularly Ezekiel 36, about having a heart to obey God's commandments, it's like, you know, anyone who has a heart, I mean, you, like me and you talk about it all the time, we talk about this idea of like, we're pastors and we know the law, right? I mean, we know the scriptures not as well as we want to. But in you know, but in in a, in a way that we are qualified to lead this church, and yet we still read the scripture and come to each other and say, "What do we do with this? How do I live this out? How do you live this out?" It's like we want to fear and validate even the smallest of Jesus' commands to us, and this idea that just you know all of us Christians can just oh, it doesn't matter you know Jesus will figure it all out. It's like no, that's what he's saying. You will be called least in the kingdom of heaven because you just don't care, and Jesus very much cares. So then, Pastor Hayden, because all of the laws are 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 representative of the character and nature of God. Yes, and God cares about His character and nature. Yes, and cares that His creation would reflect that. Well, and even if we actually can go quickly to Ezekiel thirty six, you um, we were talking about a new heart, and in verse thirty two, in verses twenty six twenty seven, put new heart, new spirit, right? But this is the beautiful part, verse thirty two. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O Israel. And really, he, he does. He mentions this in, in Ezekiel 36, essentially saying, I'm doing this because of my name. Right. I'm doing this, uh, or in verse tw- uh, 22, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm about to act, but it's for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations to which you came. So directly, this passage is talking about God communicating to Israel, but also this principle is still the same. We profaned the image of God, mm-hmm. the reputation, a.k.a. the name of God. And so God is acting to save us because he cares about his image bearer, us. So he's going to save us and redeem us and give us a new heart that's in his image right. so that the world may know and who he is. He is, and, and he very much cares about our outworking of our, of our obedience and all of this stuff. 
and verse 23 or so real quick, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know what the I am the Lord declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So what is the point of God saving us? And giving us a new heart. I'm thinking of my my old high school friends that knew me before I was a Christian who aren't Christians. They say, hey, oh yeah, you don't do that anymore. You're the new Evan. I'm like, that was one of the biggest compliments I've ever received from them. Oh, you're the new Evan. Because they are seeing God and work in me, not for me, my sake, but for his sake. And so we obey and follow the weightier and the lighter laws not so that we can earn our way into heaven or you know, be moral into heaven, like, like you're saying. But because we are honoring the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, that we have his image, we bear his image as a new creation. We have the heart changed to do it and the spirit of God in us to accomplish it. And and that's the, the way to, 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 to massage this is like, that's literally why you've been made in a new creation, that you would follow God's commands. And it's like we can't, I, mean, I don't think we can sit on that enough to say you shouldn't fear invalidating any of Jesus' commands because you've been made new that you would that you would live in those. Exactly. We see this in Titus 2, 11 through 12. So, you know, and so when you talked about like the weightier, you know, there might be a handful of people and maybe in our church at all that neglect the weightier matters. Right. Of, I, I of think, the law. yeah, and, and you're right. And I think that they, well, the ones they, they do neglect is like you will not forgive people. You will not repent when you're wrong. I think those are weighty because that is mercy uh, and and faithfulness. However, I do, yeah, I do agree in principle with what you're saying. Yeah, and so uh, the people that we need to help a life group walk through is, yeah, the forgiveness and reconciliation, giving. Mm-hmm. I mean, attending community. I mean, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, don't neglect the gathering of some. Right. I mean, I was writing stuff down. In, in as some quiet do. Time. As some do. Sorry. Right. Quiet time, praying, the spiritual disciplines, loving my spouse and kids, discipling my family as a husband to lead my... Oh, that's a little thing because the culture says, oh, if you kind of neglect it, it's not a big deal. Even Christian culture. It's a huge deal. If I neglect my duty to not lead my wife and disciple my children, it's such a big deal that I... I would disqualify myself as a pastor if I didn't do those things. Mm-hmm. And so, well, think about that. What if your pastors dealt with the qualifications of an elder the way that a lot of people deal with all of the other commands in Scripture? Well, uh, you know, it's not that necessary. I mean, it's Jesus. I'm forgiven for that. So it's not. It's well. It's a. You know, it's just like whoa. Okay. We we do, and that's why I'm thinking as Christians, like you are consistent. Most of us are consistent enough in our doctrine to understand that there is some inconsistencies in the way that we live out the law of Christ. Because I think the pastor one and the deacon one's great. It's like, well, no, there are, there's the qualifications right there. Well, are they accountable to those? Yes. Uh, but I thought Christ freed us from from this. Y- yes. So you can't hold these against people as a qualification for their their calling and their vocation in ministry. You know, you, you know yeah, well, oh, that's a good, yeah, you have to, because why? Because we are made in the image of Christ. We've been remade with a new heart, with new motivations, uh, and with the, the spirit of Christ to live those out. And if the pastors and the deacons are supposed to live these things out, it's as a reflection uh, of, of God that everyone else should be living out as well. We're held to this as a standard. And to prove, and to prove it, Especially for pastors, where we we're also known as shepherds. Well, why are we supposed to be qualified as shepherds? Because we represent who Christ, who is the 
great shepherd, the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep. And so if I'm not sacrificially laying my life down for the church, then I'm a misrepresentation to who Christ is, and I defame his name. And I mean, think about a bunch of family you have or uh, friends you have who hate the church because they had people uh, posing as pastors or as pastors failing to reflect who Christ is properly, not perfectly. There's a perfect pastor out there. He's probably not a Christian, according to First John, uh, because it says it's perfect. You know, oh, anyone says they're perfect, right. he's a liar and he's doesn't practice the truth. That's right. So we were walking in the light and, you know, imperfectly. However, I need to reflect Christ because it's his but it, But it's even life. weighing that idea of imperfectly. It's like, well, I, I don't do that perfectly. Well, that means that you sin. Turn from your sin. That's like First John. It's like, and it's just like John, I think John does this great job in First John of weighing grace and weighing sin, of saying like, you have an advocate. You know, before the Father, when you sin, little children, I love that, beloved, like, if you do sin, do not sin. <laughs> so he said, do not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate before the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. It's like, so there's this like, oh, that's, that's, that's good news. But it's also like, stop sinning. Don't sin. You need to turn from your sin. You recognize that when you sin, you love something in that moment more than you love God. And nobody with a new heart lives that way. So it's that like the kind of the wound of like, oh, you're right, that, that really is hurtful and burdensome. But it's also that you have an advocate. And and one doesn't allow me to do the other one more, right? I shouldn't sin more because I have this advocate, Romans six. Uh, but I recognize that oh, there is a weight weightiness to just saying, Well, I'm not perfect. Well stop 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 belittling your sin that way and own it. And recognize that that doesn't make it right for you to live in this weird way where you get to just tell them, where you get to live in this uh, false, piastic way of saying, well, I'm just a, not a perfect person. It's like, okay, but like, why do you just keep sinning all the time without repenting? Because the re- what you're really saying is, well, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to feel this, the, the right conviction when I sin enough to repent and seek a way out of these things to live for the Lord. I'm just going to rest on this idea of just saying every day that I'm not perfect. It's like, that's not somebody who has a heart for the Lord. I mean, the one who has a heart for the Lord is like Paul, who says, wretched man am I. I mean, is that your attitude towards your quote-unquote, I'm not imperfect? Or is it this laissez-faire idea of like, oh, I'm just, it's not perfect. But you see that, it's that heart. is like the heart of somebody who's, who loves the Lord. It's going to say, oh, wretched man am I that I would do this apart from, I would choose this over loving my God. Versus that person who's like, ah, it's fine. It's like, no, you cannot. This just cannot be our life as Christians. All right. We need a new desire. Yep. Point number three, desire an honorable position in God's kingdom. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, there's rankings in heaven. How can we equip our life group leaders for questions <laughs> on this? I mean, this is something I, I believe in the text. And, you know, what I would do is I'd point people to the study Bibles that they have, uh, to the commentaries in these texts that we have. Because, you know, what I've... You know, on one hand, when I started reading these things and I started talking about them, people were like, well, you know, honor, uh, varying positions, rewards. And I'm like, well, is this, I mean, is this, is this strange? Is this alien, like, to the Bible? And, you know, I just started reading, like, basic study Bibles, like the ESV study Bible, the CSB study Bible, the Faith Life study Bible, the MacArthur study Bible. Let's see if you did the ESV and MacArthur. We sell those in the bookstore. We do. Uh, I mean, and, and even the uh, the dictionary, Bible dictionaries I read and the commentaries I read, it's like, 
it, let's, let's, they all they all say the same thing. The text of Scripture says that, that there are varying degrees of honor given in heaven. Like all of the texts that I'm reading affirm it. And I'm sure there's outliers. I'm sure you can go find commentaries that would reject this idea. I, I, I would challenge their faithfulness to the text. But I'm just saying, like, just point people. If people are struggling with this, point them to their study Bible. Point them to to a you know a commentary that we sell in in the church or in our bookstore, uh, because Scripture makes it very clear, uh, clear in the uh, scope that is this idea that the, the Scripture in 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 its totality sh- shows you that especially in the New Testament that there are varying positions of honor. Now in its sequence, like what are we going to get? I, I I don't think Scripture isn't clear about those things. Uh, I think there is there is uh, evidence that shows us there are certain things, and that but I don't think that it's clear enough, at least in my study, that I'd be confident getting up there and saying anything about what all we're gonna get up there. Uh, I shouldn't say up there because it is gonna be the new earth. But uh, the point being, there are there is a lot of scriptural uh, evidence that there are varying positions of honor, and I think this text is just one of the many that we have to get to line by line that says you're gonna be called least in the kingdom. Whoever does them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And if you want, I mean, you're going to have to not take those texts literally to get anything else out of it. And I just, I caution you to not take Jesus to if if you were to not take Jesus literally, because if you're not going to take him literally here, you you shouldn't take him literally in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where people go wrong when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount is to not take this literally. So, quick question, Pastor Hayden. Yes. How can we as life group leaders respond to a statement like this? Well, I don't like the idea about trying to live here for rewards or live here in this Christian life for honor in the kingdom. I just want to be a faithful Christian now. I'm sorry that that's how you feel. I mean, I, I, that I, that's kind of like tongue-in-cheek, a little bit funny, but but it's like, you know, I, I, you know how you feel about things is not my main concern. That you would look at Scripture and say, that's, this is what Scripture says. Uh, my pastoral response would be to say, hey, uh, like, and I think my, my pastoral response has been articulated in the sermon. Like, you should desire. I mean, would, just think about it this way. Let me ask you some questions. You answer. Would you desire a dishonorable position in God's kingdom? No. Okay. Would it be a good thing to desire this a position in God's kingdom that God would be pleased with? Would you? Would it be good for you to desire a position in kingdom that in, in God's kingdom that you'd be like? I, I'm really, really grateful that God would 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 give me this gift. Yes. Okay. Uh, so it's like, what, what do we not like? We what we don't like is this idea that my life is consequential for eternity. That's what people don't like, right? That that your life here is consequential in eternity because you what we have been taught, at least in part, is well, all that stuff doesn't matter. Uh, because now in Christ you're saved. Let's, no, that is so true, and that's why I think that so many people have the right idea, and that's why I say no. Not a lot of people I know struggle with this like intense legalism because you know that nothing you do merits anything in, in eternity. But I think what we've also done is forgot the rest of what Scripture says about being rewarded for your faithfulness. Uh, and I think this is another one of those texts here that say, "Hey." Uh, your father in heaven wants to honor you as you've made yourself the least here for his sake and for his glory. 
that he wants to bestow a an honor to you in eternity. And what that's going to look like, I can't tell you. I can tell you what it's going to look like for the 12 disciples or the 11, right? Plus whoever he God decides, whether that's Matthias or Paul or whatever your thoughts are on that, that they are actually going to have thrones in the kingdom around Christ to judge Israel. Well, that's a legit honor that is very much spelled out in Scripture. I don't believe, I don't know about all that for me, but I can't, But when I look at that, I'm like, well, it's obvious that there is positions of honor in the kingdom that are given to actual people who have faithfully followed Christ, and he says that that is going to be the case uh, in some measure for all of God's faithful children. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, we have some small group questions. Is there any uh, thoughts on... Uh on the questions that we should be prepared for? I, you know, as far as those questions go, you know, I think you should do them. <laughs> no, uh, I think they're very practical. I think they're very helpful for you guys. As I wrote them, uh, a lot like last week, I think there's a lot of practical uh, value in these questions that are going to help you guys get into some nuts and bolts of things. And uh, I don't, maybe you're not going to get through all of them, but I just encourage you, life group leaders, pick ones you think your group is going to best be able uh, maybe there's something they're challenging with, maybe something they struggle with. Pick the questions that are going to best shepherd your group. Don't pick the ones based on your hobby thoughts and hobby decisions. Don't make your life group uh, a hobby horse for your own thoughts. Do the shepherding work of looking at the hearts of your people and help point them in the right direction. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, we have a few announcements. All right. We do. We got four of them to be exact. Child dedications on Father's Day. We have maybe one or two positions open left for that, so make sure if anyone needs to to sign up for that, they do. Summer kids camps. Registration ends today for VBS. Uh, Art and science camp remain open, and we want you to sign up for those as soon as possible. If you want to serve at kids camp, you need to go online to compasshillcountry.org slash summer camps to register for signing up for kids camp to help serve at that student revival summer d now is up the kingdom of heaven july 27th through july 30th registrations open for that encourage uh, your group to sign up their students for that as soon as possible and baptism services are full for the 23rd but we'll have another one coming up in the next few weeks that we'll announce soon uh, so let your group know if, that this service is full but if but we're going to open up a new one Uh, coming up real, real soon. We're grateful for you, Life Group Leaders, and we are praying for you. We love you so much. We look forward to seeing you guys soon.